On Friday, government and public sector unions finally agreed a pay deal which will see 385,000 staff receive pay increases of at least 10.25% over two and a half years. The Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Donoghue, has described the deal as fair, equitable and affordable and the deal will be put to workers in a ballot on the 25th of March. Well, earlier I spoke to Brendan O'Connor. He's president of the Garda Representative Association and I asked him if they were happy with the deal. The figures involved and the percentages would seem to be a reasonable offer, but unfortunately the devil is in the detail and the problem that has arisen for us is in relation to the specific justice uh, sector and, and the and guarantee corner section. It doesn't reflect the concerns we raised in discussions with our own management and, and, the, and the Department of Justice in, in our sectoral discussions. And do you feel more is being asked of, of members of Ungarda Síochána than other public servants in that context? Absolutely. It's well documented the levels of change that's been fighted upon our members and a lot of that change is not making the job any easier, it's making it more difficult. But really what the problem is that we've been asked to sign up blind to um, systems that haven't even been identified or seen. So there's issues in relation to legislation before the doll and around um, conduct and performance for members. So signing up blind to something like that is simply uh, too big a task we would see at this moment, but it will be a matter for our executives. And why haven't you seen those proposals? We don't know. We have engaged with Garda management. We have piloted with the Department of Justice and with the Minister. We don't know why we haven't seen those sight of those documents. And uh, it's, it's really, I don't think any group of workers would be asked to sign up blind. It's something that is so fundamental to their terms and conditions of employment. And was there any conditionality between the pay rise that Garda, members of Angarda Siakana will receive and compliance with proposed rostering? Um, well, the roster, roster reform is part of collective agreements in the past, so we now find ourselves outside of a collective agreement, so the exact impact we don't know. We are involved in the process at the minute, but certainly if we remain outside of pay agreements, it, it's, it's not clear what the position is. We do want to find solutions, and it's very disappointing because we didn't engage. We felt constructively with the department and with our own management, and then when the final draft of the document came out, there was no real sign of our fingerprints or the issues that we highlighted very clearly in sectoral talks in the, with, with our other staff associations. And would you expect discussion on those issues and greater clarity before your members vote on this agreement? Well, there'd have to be clarity. There's no way that uh, we could consider the issues as, as it stands. So certainly we will need more engagement. As I say, we're a progressive association. We want to find solutions. But again, a common theme for us is the lack of engagement. It just seems for some reason our voice isn't heard and the concerns of our members aren't taken seriously by our own management and government department. And we see it consistently every time that the, the Garda Representative Association seems to find a solution and, and to take uh, the heat out of industrial relations problems within the Garda Corner, something else is done that is detrimental to our members' terms and conditions. And it's at a time of a very low morale and a recruitment and retention crisis. And again, we find our voice is not listened to and we're not, uh, there is not parity of esteem with other unions and other staff associations. I suppose on another issue that that's related and it, it'll affect uh, guard the numbers, the Department of Integration reportedly said that communities that take in large numbers of international protection applicants or refugees will get additional Gardaí. What's your view on that? Do you think that's achievable given how many other demands there are in areas like traffic and, uh, and, and other areas of policing? No, it's very, it was very hard to see how the organisation that we work for and that we're committed to has the capacity to provide anything extra or additional, and those are the terms that we find difficult to comprehend. The word additional and the word extra is not relevant. There are fewer guardy, we're struggling to retain, retain the staff we have, we're struggling to recruit, 
So it's again, again, we're just going to ask more of a finite group of people, if not fewer people, and we believe the capacity is not there within the existing resources. So uh, we are committed to finding solutions, as I say, but there's only so much you can ask of the same group of people when the pressures continue to grow on a daily basis and more and more uh, is asked and policing becomes a more complex uh, profession. If they take people from one area, it leaves a shortfall in another. So it's just creating a problem somewhere where it appears to be solved another. There's just simply, there, there are too few guarantee, and until that nettle is grasped, we will continue to see problems uh, in the delivery of policing. And that's the president of the Garda Representative Association, Brendan O'Connor, speaking to me there just before we came on air. Now, as I say, in studio with me are Joe O'Brien, Green Party TD uh, for, for Dublin Fingal and Minister of State of the Department of Integration, Jennifer Whitmore, Social Democrats TD for Wicklow, and Michael McNamara, Independent TD for Clare. Uh, Joe Bryant, to you first, the uh, president of the Garda Associ- Representative Association saying there, he doubts very much whether Garda numbers are there to be able to be deployed to communities uh, who are you're promising extra resources to if they host international protection applicants or uh, refugees. What What's your answer to that? Well, just to, I suppose, welcome the pay deal. As the minister said, it's fair, it's equitable. It's affordable. It's a very significant uh, increase. I think Minister Donoghue has engaged with unions for a period of months now and has been uh, lots of over and back on it. He's shown good flexibility. So I think overall this is a very good pay deal. I I, I would say as well, I mean, the headline figure at the moment is 10.25 over two and a half years. Those on, on, on the lower uh, on the lower grades will be getting more than that as well. That's why it's a particularly good deal, I think. Uh, in, in relation to your particular question in terms of community needs, I, I just want to acknowledge the role that the Gardaí have played, uh, particularly over the last 12 months, uh, in assisting my department uh, to get people safely into essentially their homes. Um, they've made operational decisions themselves and we've shared information with them about what we're doing. Uh, they continue to do that and, and we thank them for their work. Um, it tends to be a short-term need, thankfully, uh, and it's not necessarily something that has to happen. Um, by and large, the majority of new accommodation that we open doesn't require any guard of presence. And going forward, I hope that's the way it, it, it proceeds. And if additional Gardaí were to be provided, then in what roles do you envisage that? Are you talking about community Gardaí, short-term public order deployments, uh, just an increase in Gardaí to rec- recognise an increase in local population? That's very much a, an operational decision for Gardaí in terms of how and where they, they, they put their people on the ground. We share what we're doing with them uh, and they make a decision, a policing decision themselves in terms of what's necessary. And do you then. share any of the concerns that uh, Brendan O'Connor raised there about the capability within current numbers and resources in the Gardaí to be able to deploy if that was desirable? We've seen no indication of that so far in terms of how they've helped helped us. Uh, it's, it's been done well where we've needed to uh, engage with them and they've needed to act on the information that we've given them. So um, just again to acknowledge and thank them for that contribution and work. Okay, but if it's an operational matter for Gardaí, how can communities be promised that there will be additional Gardaí if that's up to on Garda Síochána to make an operational decision on that? Yeah, I haven't seen the wording of that promise now. I, I, I'd, I'd like to see the detail of that. It's not with an or gift to, to do that, so I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that was worded. Okay, but would you accept that is the impression that's been given at the moment, that amongst the mix of services that would be provided to communities, uh, uh, general practitioners and Gardaí are within that mix. So are, are you saying that you doubt that now or? No, no I, I mean, I think 
communities have highlighted resource issues. Certainly in my Department of Rural and Community Development at the moment, we are putting together proposals in terms of how we can improve that in terms of uh, what we have available to us in our Department of Rural and Community Development. I have heard a GP issue before as well. I've written to Minister Donnelly on this actually as well. I think it's important to note that last year there was 100 GPs brought in from abroad uh, and put through um, an adaptation course, I suppose, and they're now on the ground as well. And the plan is this year that that programme for bringing people from abroad as well will bring in uh, an additional 250. So I, I'm very aware of the GP issue and there is action in that regard. Uh, or there is another approach on the ground as well in terms of sessional uh, GP services uh, in areas where there's a, a, an increase in population that wasn't uh, planned. All right. Um, Michael McNamara, the the mix of services that would be needed to support communities where there is uh, a sudden arrival of increased numbers of people, regardless of where they're coming from. What do you see as being necessary as part of that mix? And what do you make of what Brendan O'Connor said there? Well, I mean, obviously, if a population of a, a town or a settlement is, is greatly increased as with has happened in Liston Varna, for example, uh, there is going to be a requirement for a, a greater Garda presence because Garda presence is based on, on numbers and if you're going to, you can't base it on the old numbers if there's been a huge increase in population. Uh, in my own town, where I'm from, of Scariff, uh, there are, there's a medical centre of two GPs. It was once four, now it's two. There's been a, um, the former hotel is, is now a, a centre for asylum seekers. There's um, a, a former Golf Village, uh, which is uh, housing beneficiaries of temporary protection i.e. Ukrainians. So there's been a, a large increase in numbers in both. Um, the GP's practice is under pressure. As I say, there are two GP's that used before. They tried very, uh, there was a lot of uh, the recruitment drive there to get a new GP in and they weren't able to attract a GP. And I mean, Scarif is 25, 30 minutes from, from, from Limerick, from Ennis. So, you know, they're, it's not a particularly remote place and even there they're finding it difficult to recruit GPs so I find it very hard to see how the government is going to, to meet that pledge that they're making um, if there's a, I mean there's a general shortage of GPs people are young qualified doctors are leaving the country but young people generally are leaving the country I mean you know there was a time in Ungarda Shikana that you got a job in Ungarda Shikana and you could hope to, to get a home with that job uh, the threshold in Clare for uh, social housing is 35,000 euros um, young Gardaí starting out are over that as most people who are working are over the 35,000 yet they're considerably under the 55,000 euros required to buy an affordable home or a so-called affordable home. So like a lot of people starting out in right across the public sector in many areas, the private sector do, right. they're kind of caught in that squeeze middle. Okay, uh, Je Jennifer Whitmore, the um, the impression that has been given at the moment is a 50 million uh, community fund and that amongst the mix of services that this could deliver are uh, extra GPs and extra Gardaí. Is that your understanding of it? Uh, so c can I just, I just want to yeah. come back and make one really, really important point. There is no link at all been shown between having Ukrainians or IPAS um, applicants in your community and a rise in violence or an additional need for Gardaí. There is no link at all. I think the conversations we've been having here this morning and whatever is in the, you know, the, the promise and the commitment that you're reading from there come would indicate that there is. But there absolutely is not. And I think we need to knock that right. on the head straight away. Agreed. The only rise that we're seeing when it comes to violence uh, in relation to, to these centres is from protesters who are taking it, some protesters who are taking it into their own hands to burn them down. Um, and absolutely, we need to have a huge guard of focus on making sure that those people who are uh, conducting criminal behaviours are... are um, 
um, apprehended by the Gardaí and they are held to account for that. But they are the only ones that we're seeing. Any, so I just okay, want to I, make I, that I, clear. And I, sh- I should clarify, the Community Response Fund of 50 million is, is, is something separate to, to the provision of extra resources. Is yeah, just to clarify, is the Community Recognition Fund, which we launched last year, uh, it's been dispersed to local authorities around the country based on the level of increased um, beneficiaries of temporary protection or international protection applicants that they had had at a particular point in time. So that's rolling out at the moment. I think there's about 13 million of that has been spent. Community centres, playgrounds, general infrastructure that communities in lar- by and large can benefit from as well. So that's that's in the process of being rolled out. That's that 50 million. All right. Jennifer Whitmore, but, but, but just to come back to you on it, on the issue of accommodation and the provision of accommodation, as you mentioned there, uh, certain centres have been targeted. What's your expectation though on what would be appropriate accommodation to deliver to people who are seeking international or, or temporary protection? So, I mean, a, a number of years ago there was a report um, that was published that made a recommendations and how we deal with uh, you know, moving away from direct provision. Indeed, this was a, a key commitment of the Greens and government that they would get rid of direct provision. Now, look, at we know things have changed and, and we've seen uh, you know, war in Ukraine, which obviously did change, uh, uh, you know, the ability of the state to deal with that commitment. However, two years ago, uh, a report, uh, an updated report also said you need to build six reception centres and the government committed to that. There was meant to be, uh, they were meant to be built in 2023. Um, and now the government is recommitting to that. But what we need to see, we need to see government actually do it. We need to see them build the reception centres that are required so that when people come into this country seeking refuge, that it's not essentially, they're not just told to go live on the streets and be homeless. All right. um, so we need that to happen. But can I also just say, Colm, on that? Briefly, My understanding you. is the government has said that that won't happen until after the local elections. I think that is a really, really cynical attempt by government to... Uh, okay. uh, well, well, why? why? I mean, it's been two years years, uh, Minister, that this right. uh, this commitment has been made okay. and we haven't seen any progress towards building these centres and now essentially you're saying they won't be until after right. the local and, elections. And the person who wrote that Explain report, how that Brown, is not a cynical move. Catherine, Catherine Day uh, was, was calling for uh, this to be done uh, urgently. There are six yeah. reception centres need to be built, she said. She said that in her report. It's been quite some time since that report was written. So when yeah. are they going to be delivered? Where are they going to be delivered? And on what criteria? So two years ago was obviously a different time and since then we've accommodated almost an additional 100,000 people between Ukrainians and international protection applicants. That's the core reason why we don't have the six centres right now because we had to react uh, on a weekly basis for a period of time now to make sure that we had shelter for for the majority of those 100,000 people that have come since then. Minister Gorman at the moment is developing a revised proposals uh, that will be going to Cabinet in a couple of weeks that will respond to that question about about new reception centres, which was uh, in the plan for the white paper. So in some respects, it's the plan that we always had. It's just that the last two years have been exceptional, I think, and everyone will agree that it didn't allow us to go forward with those plans that, that we had in, in the white paper and that, that Catherine Day would like to see but the, and the, that we would all like to see. Okay, as well. but the, the, the six centres for people arriving, you know, are they going to be put near urban centres where services will be available? Are they going to be, you know, based on something that's appropriate or is it going to be based on where the state owns land and where it can build? All them considerations are, are in the pot. It won't necessarily be 
uh, all built from scratch either as well, which is why I would be hopeful that we'll see uh, something come online before the timeline uh, that, that Jennifer mentioned as okay. well. So you think there could be clarity on this before the local and European elections? I, I think we'll I think we'll absolutely... Including locations? Well, well, I think we'll have better clarity once once Minister Gorman brings the finalised proposals. Just, just on that, I mean, McNamara. obviously the government has had to accommodate a lot of people and that it didn't expect to have to accommodate very quickly, but I mean, vast sums of money are being made by people in the private sector, um, developers who are buying or often buying a disused hotel uh, and making back the price of it within 12 months and they're, they're in profit thereafter. I mean, there are huge sums of money being made right across. Um, so we do need to make sure that, that the state's being safeguarded and state and monies are being safeguarded because, as I understand it, it pe- these centres are, are uh, people are moved there and you're very reliant on those same centres they're self-reporting thereafter to determine how many people are actually in that accommodation thereafter. There's very few mm. uh, checks carried out. I know so that there are like checks to address before. That point. Yeah, I, I'd appreciate if you did because I've been asking a lot of questions okay. on it of your department finding it very difficult to get concrete answers. All right, Joe Brown, do you want to respond to yeah. that? Um, sorry, just to say two points there. Um, the white paper envisages and I, I think the white paper going forward and our plans going forward as well will see a much larger proportion and percentage of publicly owned buildings as well. I think it makes sense for us to invest capital. Um, it'll pay itself back within a period of years. The, the, the dependence on private providers is, is not where we want to be. Mm-hmm. And I think Minister Gorman's paper will reflect that. There will be more of an orientation towards acquiring buildings that the state owns and controls and that we have security over as well. In, in relation to your, uh, the question around uh, ultimately occupancy, mm. I think it is. Uh, so in relation to IPAS International Protection Accommodation Service, on a weekly basis, there is a set of registers sent back by our providers. They're checked uh, because of the flow in. They're almost immediately filled as well. There'll be some discrepancies because, for example, you have situations where uh, we might have a, a room contracted uh, that but you're completely that, relying that, that on, on, on their honesty in returning that register. Well, we do have an inspection process as and well. So we could, have, we could have a room that's contracted for five people and, and there might be a four-person family in there, for example. Okay. Okay. Sorry, yeah, Sorry, who carries out the inspections? We have an inspection team internally in the department. But well. I understand. Sorry, every time I just want to get clear. How many people are on the inspection team? I, I, no, it, it, it's a small team. It's constantly on the road. Uh, we do have 250 plus locations around the country at the moment, but they're constantly going and reacting to right. issues raised. I, I, as well. I think it's also important to note that not only does the state finances have to be safeguarded, you know, that that, that goes without saying, but also that the people within those um, buildings also need to be safeguarded. And there isn't any HICWA inspections of those sites. There isn't really any oversight by the state of what happens well, No, we have ongoing clinics as well. We have clinics as well where we have, it's essentially a type of customer service type service where people are on, constantly going around as well and, 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 people are, and people are told as well when they're placed in, a, in an accommodation centre that these are the people and the numbers that you can contact if you have questions or issues and okay. that's a just, very busy wanna, part of the service. I just want to get to just w- one more issue with you briefly, uh, Joe Ryan, which is the, the um, the report that the country's list of uh, the Ireland's list of safe countries, designated safe countries, is about to be revised. Is it or expanded? Can you shed any light on that, or can you give us any ideas to what those additional countries would be, or is it been reduced? 
I, I can only confirm what you said that it, it is been looked at again. Um, I, I think it's important that if we're adding other countries to the list, um, that um, people who come from there are still given a fair hearing. That is the case with people coming from safe countries at the moment. They are given a, they are given a fair hearing. It's just that the process coming after that then is expedited and made faster. But there's a, a broader question. I mean, Georgia is on the list of safe countries in Ireland now. But so, but. And their Georgia, process is expedited. Their it is, processing it has greatly become expedited. But, the vast but there are people from Georgia who will seek subsidiary protection and, and, and may, some, may be entitled to it. And, if and, and, from and, and some will be successful. But then there are lots of other people who come from Georgia who come to work and they want to work and they they're perform a, a very vital function in our economy. But why are they being put... The only way to come here for them is to come and claim asylum. And then th- they have to be accommodated, etc. The, the asylum claim... And some people are, of course, making valid claims and are found to be um, uh, to warrant protection, but the, the majority aren't. Yet they have no alternative if they want to come here to work, and they do want to come here to work. That seems to me to be a, a, a problem that we're forcing. We don't have legal pathways to migration. We're forcing everybody oh, through the route. Really. Well, we do for specialised skill registers, but there are many people Which working in our economy. Yeah, but there I, are I many people back. working in our economy who I, don't I, I'll qualify. I'll come back to you a minute on this, what, what do you work, Jennifer Whitmore? Are a vital part of our economy. What, what, what do you make of the news that um, the the list of safe countries uh, is going to be is going to be revised? Do you think it'll make any difference to the speed at which people are processed, or indeed the the I suppose the the capacity of the system to assess them? I, I think what we need we need to see the the system reformed. I, I think it's clear that um, you know that it's it's currently not working how it should be. I mean, we should be able to offer a fast, fair um, uh, ability for people to come here and claim claim refuge. But it's important uh, that you know that it's you know as the government keep on saying that it's rules based and um, but that but it does provide an efficient um, processing. Right. For people coming in as well, but what really what's coming becoming really clear, and this is something that in the opposition and indeed the advocacy uh, groups have been calling for now for a number of years, the government has sort of put its head in the sand when it, in dealing with this issue. We, we had a huge influx of Ukrainians in, in into the into into the country, and you know that was obviously challenging. But we've been repeatedly calling for the government to move from an emergency footing to medium to long term planning, and they haven't done that, and that's the reason we are now in the situation where we're in. All this work should have been done over the last number of years in relation to the reception centres, in relation to the reforms of the system, in relation to how you actually engage with communities. All this work should have been done. And because the government has not done it, and I think it has not done it because largely because the government has not taken this on as a whole of government response, we haven't seen the focus right. from the Department of Housing, from the Taoiseach's office. It was essentially left with... Minister O'Brien's colleague, uh, Minister O'Gorman, his department, whilst they did enormous work in this area, did not right. have the capacity you, and it should have been whole of government for Joe, all Joe along. O'Brien, isn't the role of the Department of Housing a key one here because people are unable to exit the direct provision system even when their refugee as applications have been approved. There are effectively people living in the system but and those spaces could be system. accommodating people who... who, who uh, it potentially end up on the streets, yeah, and and I get that. I just want to ad- address Jennifer's point that there was that there's some fundamental reform of the system needed. I mean, we do have a clear system in terms of people who seek international protection. We have a system for people seeking beneficiaries of temporary protection. We have a system for people seeking employment, coming on student status. There is a clear, as you said, rules-based system there. There are a lot of people applying for protection at the moment. That That is what is unusual, and our systems are trying to adapt to that. Um, 
the length of time in, as well. That and the length of processing time has sped up considerably yeah, as well. Hasn't. It has it, absolutely. It, you know, first it, instance decision making has sped up considerably. First instance decision making has sped up. Yes. Decision making okay. with regard to people from safe countries across the entirety of the process has sped up. Sped up. But then you've yeah. a, a first instance you've a right to appeal and thereafter you've a right to apply for leave to remain. And people there's a backlog okay, of right. in excess of twelve months. I asked the minister how long the backlog is and she couldn't even tell me how long the backlog is, which is surprising okay, given the I, pressures I, I, on accommodation I I, in the system. I keep on okay, getting worried though about those 600 people who are on the streets who, who you know, right, like, right. and it seems to me that they get forgotten in these debates an awful okay, lot of time. At right. the moment when people well, come I keep in, getting worried that you, you, on the streets. More and more okay. people are coming into the system gonna, and nobody's to, coming out of the system. That is the problem. We are accommodating some of those who are on the You're accommodating, but you have to accommodate more and more people if the Minister for Justice is going to make We're going to have to leave it there because we do have other rights to cover on the programme. We're back looking at the decision of the International Court of Justice and hearing from the ground in Gaza after this. Saturday with Colm O'Mungon on RTE Radio 1.